So have you ever deleted your old tweets? I delete tweets all the time. A lot of my tweets from 2011 are pretty embarrassing, but it seems like it would take a lot of time to delete them. I've definitely deleted tweets because of the fact that I don't think that way anymore. I delete tweets for usually grammatical reasons. In case I wanted to apply for a job or anything, I didn't want them to go back to my Twitter account and think bad things about me. So if I ever post anything that's like transparent, honest, but also depressing, I like delete it. If someone's creeping on me from 2011, they can read whatever they want. They're the weird one. So if I tweet something and then like years later it happens, I'm like, oh my God, I have to pull that up. Time hop. Where is it at? Hello, and welcome to Why'd You Push That Button, a show where Caitlin Tiffany Hi. and Ashley Carmen, that's me, talk about all the decisions technology forces us to make. Welcome back, y'all. Here we Season are. three. Actually, I realized we launched a show at exactly the same date last year. Really? Yeah. October 17th. Wow, that's beautiful. I love anniversaries. <laughs> cool. Great. Here we are. We have a really exciting debut episode yes about everyone's favorite social media platform where nothing bad ever happens which is called twitter (laughs) yeah so today we are talking about why people delete their tweets this is actually probably one of our more serious episodes we thought we'd start out on a somber note but you know lighten it up later in the season well last year we started off talking about like copyright law so (laughs) we just love to get lawyers and managerial experts like we're going to have on this show we want to make sure everyone who's with us is really with us it's true Loyalty is important to us. (laughs) We have an amazing guest list. Very excited. We have Max Reed, editor at New York Magazine, is going to be on. We're going to talk to a manager, an expert in managers, and HR. Doesn't sound that exciting Mm. when I say it out loud, but it is exciting. She's a genius. Promise. But first, we need to get to some serious updates because last season we left off with a few, you know, life changes. Caitlin, at the time, had left The Verge to go to a publication called Damn Joan. And now Caitlin needs to update you on that. Yes. So I can't tell you a lot, but Damn Joan no longer exists. And I'm back at Vox Media at the brand new vertical, well, sub-vertical, The Goods on Vox.com. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Our girl's a Vox.com reporter. Yeah. She left The Verge. I am technically now a tech reporter (laughs) at The Goods, writing for Julia Rubin, known genius and former editor. She's doing great work. So you all should definitely read Caitlin's work on The Goods because it's amazing. I tweet it every day. You do that is a tweet I will it. not delete. Ashley, what's your summer update? The best thing I come up with is that now I'm public on Instagram, which is a very fraught topic. We all have talked about it so many times. Yeah, I think maybe to say that we've talked about Ashley's public Instagram so many times is an understatement. <laughs> um, well, you'll never hear about it again. And uh, well, actually, you'll hear about how I'm not verified. Yeah, get Ashley verified 2018. Okay, so today's episode, let's get to it. Why do you delete your tweets? This is a super timely issue and actually a really personal one for The Verge and like Vox Media in general. Caitlin, do you want to explain this summer's horrible situation? Yeah, sure. So the reason that we decided to do this episode was after watching our former colleague, Sarah Jong, go through this pretty like hideous experience. Sarah got hired at The New York Times. Congrats to Sarah. She's a genius reporter. Um, and she has a long history of reporting on like online communities and how harassment works. So it was kind of ironic, maybe, that when she got hired at the New York Times, all of these trolls who already hated her for like digging up CD communities on the internet went back into her tweets, like a really bad faith effort to make her look bad and make her get fired. They found some sarcastic tweets about white people and tried to spin that as racist. 
which we don't need to get into this now, but there's no such thing as racism against white people. But it was very obviously just like very benign tweets that would have offended almost nobody with any like sense of humor or self-awareness. So they just like hit her again and again and again on Twitter. She eventually switched to this like pretty funny technique, I think, which is called honey potting, where you basically like just post like totally completely innocuous and very boring things and trolls like swarm to it anyway so she would tweet a link like great recipe for blueberry muffins and then there'd be like a thousand replies that were like you're horrible racist and whatever okay so in sarah's case these tweets were taken out of context but there have been incidents where people didn't delete their tweets and they actually tweeted some terrible shit like things that are definitely bad like racist sexist yeah. I feel uh, like this happens almost every time like SNL hires a new writer they're like oh but why didn't anybody look at his crazy old yeah. tweets about how he hates Mexicans yeah and like the director of Guardians of the Galaxy I remember my roommate showed me this was like tweeting about child rape and stuff all of this is just to say that potentially having tweets on the internet is a liability and you're putting yourself out there and you know why don't you delete them or why do you delete them so that's what we're trying to explore in this episode we're going to be talking to Brianna Wu who was a target of Gamergate which I don't know if we totally defined but Gamergate essentially employed the same exact tactics we saw with Sarah Zhang but towards females in the gaming industry Gamergate's also like a big part of what happened with the downfall of Gawker. So I assume we'll get into that when we talk to Max. Yeah, Max Reed at New York Mag, like I mentioned earlier, but he was at Gawker too. He's all swept up in that. And then everything goes back to Gamergate. It's true. It's true. That is the history of the internet. But then we're going to take a wider scope. We're going to talk to someone from Ask a Manager, the Ask a Manager, I should say. And we're going to talk to a man named Mark Graham, who works at the Internet Archive, about the idea of archiving the Internet and whether you can ever actually delete a tweet for real. Like, is it gone? Or does it exist on forever, not only in our hearts, but in the Internet Archive? (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Do you want me to tell you a little bit about my tweet habits, Caitlin? Yeah, of course. There's absolutely nothing I'm more (laughs) curious about than your tweet habits. So I got Twitter back in 2009 when I was in college, and I used Twitter like everyone did at that time, which was just to tweet stupid thoughts about anything. I remember I tweeted a lot about my mosquito bites. I tweeted a lot about class. I tweeted about probably drinking. I don't even know what I tweeted about, but it was mostly that stuff. Then I grew up, got a real job, started working in media, and always thought about deleting my tweets. And finally, this year in February, there was an incident similar to Sarah's, but I cannot remember who it was at this time that was a target uh, that happened. And I remember thinking like, it's just time. It's just time. I knew none of my tweets were necessarily incriminating because I've always been really mindful of what I put on the internet, but still deleted all my tweets and I haven't looked back. Okay. Well, I don't delete tweets and this is for a couple of reasons. I mean, I do delete them. You're a controversial tweeter. Okay. You are. You tweet like opinions. I have gotten in trouble for some tweets in the past. Oh yeah. You also gotten in trouble. Anyway. So I have deleted a few things that I tweeted in college because they were homework assignments and they make no sense. They're like hashtag com 3460. I deleted those. Other than that, I don't delete tweets unless I put them up and immediately think that's actually like dumb and not funny and it's embarrassing. Then I'll delete it immediately. But otherwise, I like having my entire archive because, for one, I'm obsessed with myself. 
<laughs> and I need to have an accurate archive of my life. I don't think there's any such thing as deleting stuff on the internet, really. And um, Because you think other people could have seen it and screenshot. Like, once it's out there, it, yeah. it could have been disseminated in some way. I mean, yeah, it's out there. The, like, the internet, you can't take stuff off of the internet. Wayback Machine, which we're going to get into later, saves stuff. It's there. Like, deal with it. You put it on the internet. That's on you. And sometimes I actually do go back through my old tweets and get ideas for stories. Or just a good laugh. Or just a good <laughs> chuckle. I'm like, oh, man, she was feisty that day. But also, I think this is probably most relevant to the episode topic. I know that my old tweets are clean of controversy that could ruin me because a couple of years ago, I wrote this article that in some way involved Vic Berger, this political satirist who was very big on Vine. And he was like a subject of the Pizzagate people. Mike Cernovich, this crazy dude on the internet who like loves accusing people of being pedophiles, accused Vic Berger of being a pedophile, which is ridiculous. He's extremely nice and smart and funny and by no means a pedophile. But anyway, because I wrote about him, Mike Cernovich decided to attack me on Twitter for a brief period of time, and he didn't find anything useful to dredge up. He just called me a pedophile a couple of times, too, and nobody latched onto it, and it went away. So that's how I he know He was like, damn, this girl tweets about her period a lot. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> and I he was like, what do stopping. I do with this ammo? Look at this woman who has a period. <laughs> this girl's always bleeding and talking about it. It's disgusting. <laughs> anyway, so that's why I don't delete my tweets, because I've already been through the Pizzagate test. See, this is the thing is I, when I deleted, I wasn't necessarily worried about harassment, because I knew it was clean. For me, it was more, I just can distinctly remember people like retweeting Taylor Swift's original tweets and they're so dumb. They're like, I like apples. It's like really dumb stuff that like back when Twitter was first coming up was like how you thought the platform was supposed to be used. Mm -hmm. And I just had this nightmare of my dumb tweets from college where I used it like that. Like anyone else bored today? Like stuff like that (laughs) where I'm like... It's not at all incriminating. It just makes you look like a dummy. And granted, I was probably a dummy at 19 years old, but still, it doesn't feel like that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess what we're saying is that there are plenty of personal branding reasons mm-hmm. to delete your tweets. There are also plenty of reasons to delete your tweets that just pertain to the fact that the internet is full of evildoers. So I guess to get like a final ruling, we probably need to, to talk to some people as usual. Yeah. So to kick things off, we spoke to somebody who deletes their tweets regularly and somebody who doesn't delete their tweets. Yeah, I talked to Max Reed, a very cool, smart guy who is a senior editor at New York Magazine, and he has deleted his tweets multiple times. Well, I've gone through two phases, actually. I used it for maybe a year or two in 2009 and sort of felt like I was getting my sea legs on the service. And at some point, I must have thought, I don't like what I've been doing or I've been using it wrong, really. Like, I've been tweeting about the wrong things and just wanted a totally clean slate. So I just wiped all of them at once and started again. But then he also had a point where he was like, you know what? I'm kind of involved in political writing. I became a journalist. I was working at Gawker. And I think that was the point at which I was an overnight writer and I needed to be paying pretty close attention as a sort of news ticker. And I think I was like, oh, this is like a chat room. This isn't like a microblogging service. This is a place to be talking to people and enjoying the sort of free flow of conversation. So I wiped and restarted. So for Max, deleting his tweets wasn't just about him figuring out how to use Twitter. It was also a way to start over and rethink his online persona. Surely everybody has that sensation, maybe less so now, but at a time when we all more meticulously crafted our 
social media profiles, that sensation of looking at your profile and feeling like, oh, wow, this isn't me. I hate this. This is awful. This represents everything that I hate about myself and everything that's wrong. And just completely wiping to give yourself a clean slate is such a beautiful feeling. And so now he deletes his tweets every two weeks. I was a little bit nervous about it at first. I archived everything before that date, thinking, I don't know, maybe someday I'll want this stuff. But I haven't archived anything since then, and I haven't really regretted it once. The main reason he deletes now, because, again, there was part one of the microblogging, like, very different use case. And now part two is that he's a semi-famous media person who could be targeted by horrible trolls and essentially him auto-deleting is a defense. I had enough friends who I was sort of watching find their tweets be dug up and used in certain ways. I think it was just that kind of sense that Gamergate was not like an isolated incident, but in fact sort of the way everything was going to happen from now on forever. And so it became clear that any kind of tweet was a liability, that like any kind of publicly spoken and permanent record of anything would end up being used against me in some way. So Max then came to the conclusion that really the only way to know if you should delete your tweets or also if you should tweet at all is does the world need to hear my opinion about this thing and i think that's a really good litmus test for all of us like does your opinion matter does anyone care should you tweet i like that Hmm, i get what he's saying at the same time i think does anyone's opinion matter is kind of a Hard question to answer. (laughs) I think this goes to media personalities more than anyone else. Twitter is like the worst possible drug for someone like that, for someone whose brain has been shaped in that way, because it is just a place where all you're doing is saying your opinion about things. And the truth is, like, in very few areas is my opinion worth like being published. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Like I spend all day on Twitter like everyone else who works in media and there are plenty of people whose opinions I think are dumb and whose like writing I think is bad. But I don't really want to start being like, this person's opinions are important and this person's aren't. I don't know. Fair. It's a hard question to ask yourself and answer honestly is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's hard to be your own editor. So my biggest concern going into this episode was that we were going to discover that everyone should just be really boring on the internet and tweet benign stuff that won't be controversial and whatever, but that the internet would end up being super boring because of that world we've created. And Max actually pointed out to me that this entire body of data that we're creating is actually just used by these platforms to sell ads. There's a lot of ways that sort of neutral actors or supposedly neutral actors can end up using the corpus of data that you create, which includes content you put out in the world for all kinds of things that you would not be comfortable with or that I'm not comfortable with. And if I'm on Twitter spouting off, I'm just handing off a corpus, not just just to companies that are actually providing me a service in exchange for it, but to just anybody out there in the world. And you know what? Max is right. I'm over Twitter now. I'm realizing like they have a ton of harassment on there. The trolls are proliferating. Twitter's not stepping up to the plate to actually fix anything. And ultimately, like I'm just making them money by tweeting. So you know what? Have interesting conversations, IRL. You don't need to be tweeting interesting stuff all the time. Before Ashley collapses into a puddle, maybe we should refocus on the central <laughs> question of deleting tweets, not the very broad question of should you even open a browser for a reason. True. So I spoke to a famous non-deleter of tweets, Brianna Wu, who just ran for Congress in Massachusetts. Weirdly, I'm best known as one of the women targeted by Gamergate back in 2014. But before that, I ran a game studio in Boston, Massachusetts. And the idea with it was we wanted to make a game studio where women could make games for other women. And we were wildly successful at that. She's an advocate for women in gaming, a space that's dominated by men. She wants more women to work behind the scenes. 
she wants to read better depictions of women in games. So that is how, in 2014, she found herself in the middle of an online harassment campaign called Gamergate that targeted women for calling out misogyny in gaming. It was a mess. Back in 2014, my studio just shipped our first game. It was Revolution 60. We'd kind of been in dark mode working on this for three years, a team of all women game developers doing this. And this was the second that the game industry was on fire. This was when Anita Sarkeesian was really getting attacked by a group of really toxic gamers. Anita Sarkeesian is a feminist blogger who'd also called out the misogyny in gaming. They kind of didn't want women talking about what we faced in our careers. They, they basically wanted our silence. They started threatening us. They started going after us. So then in this kind of patented troll playbook that became increasingly popular, these trolls started digging up old tweets to use against these prominent women in gaming. Maybe it was a statement that wasn't really well thought through. Maybe it was something you could do to get her academic funding pulled, just anything. And you would attack, 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 attack. She wrote to prominent men in the industry, basically just begging them to stand up for women in gaming in any way, but they flat out refused or ignored her. So eventually I realized I had to start speaking out myself. And this brought me to become a very prominent target of Gamergate. I sent out a tweet. It was basically Gamergate fighting a nightmarish future where women are 8% of programmers in game development instead of just 3%. And 8chan lost it over this. They started hardcore doxing me and they started sending me some of the most vile death threats I, I think you could imagine on Twitter. And I will never forget the words of these threats. This next piece is really graphic and disturbing and scary, but we thought it was important to include because it is an accurate representation of what women experience online a lot of the time. And of course, if you don't want to hear this, you can skip ahead about 30 seconds or so. Guess what, bitch? I know where you and Frank live. And it listed my address. And then he said, I am going to cut off your husband's tiny Asian penis and I'm going to rape you with it until you bleed. If you have any kids, they're going to die too. You did nothing worthwhile in this life. Your dead, mutilated corpse will be on the front page of Jezebel tomorrow. And there isn't jack shit that you can do about it. That is really disturbing. Yeah, it is horrifying, but also probably sounds familiar. Yeah, any woman on the internet knows harassment like this is everywhere. Yeah, well, so obviously, and this is a really common suggestion that people give women, Brianna could have just deleted her tweets or left Twitter, and then she wouldn't have had to deal with Twitter harassment ever again. But she knew that wasn't going to solve the larger problem. And I realized I needed to show people what women in game development were dealing with. So I put it out there. And I sent it out to the world. And I said, this is why I'm leaving my home tonight. And this is why I'm calling the police about this. And at that moment, media started calling. And I realized the game industry itself wasn't going to cover this. So when the New York Times, when MSNBC, when The Guardian, when the Boston Globe, when they started calling, even though I'd been run out of my home, I realized if I didn't speak up, this wasn't going to change. And I did a media blitz. I did over a hundred different shows in the next few months just talking about what was happening to women in our field. And I think it really changed the narrative from Gamergate is about ethics and journalism to 
Gamergate is about silencing women. Brianna's first run for Congress fell short this year, but she's trying again in 2020. And now that she's really a full-time politician, she says she'll occasionally delete things if they don't seem like they're worth a fight with trolls or if she doesn't think that she provided enough context. Just being honest, sometimes journalists link to your tweets and stories without asking you. Now that tweets can be a lot longer, she does a lot better job articulating her thoughts fully, and she doesn't like to delete because she thinks it it's a little dishonest for a public figure. When you Google my name today, as I'm someone running for office, ProPublica keeps an archive of all of my deleted tweets. It's very weird to see like the investigative journalists that you know, do all this amazing work on the Trump administration for them to like compile all your tweets so you can't delete it as a public figure. It's impossible to erase anything from the internet, right? We all know this, especially if you're a woman online. Everything you say, if you're prominent at all, is going to be screen capped. And, you know, it will be up in 4chan and Reddit within moments anyway. So uh, there's no getting away from it. So I feel like there are people out there that will archive your work for you. But she also said, for most people who aren't public figures, there's no point in preserving your tweets. There are programs out there that, like, wipe them 60 days after the fact, and I think almost everyone should do this. I've deleted my tweets, but before I did that, I archived all of them because Twitter does give you that option. So actually, later in the show, we are going to talk to Mark Graham, who works at the Internet Archive, about what it means to archive the entire Internet, because that's what they do there. It's a wild, wild job. Yeah, since that one is probably going to blow our brains up a little bit, we're going to start by talking to a manager, a managerial expert. A managerial expert. About like a, a question that's probably more relevant to the average Twitter user, which is not like, should I care about trolls seeing my tweets? It's, should I care about employers seeing my bad tweets? Right. Because like Brianna saying that regular people don't have to worry about their tweets is like totally probably real. Like there's no reason Alex Jones is going to come after this regular human, hope, hopefully. But <laughs> just cross myself. Yeah. I mean, I can't say anything for sure these days. But that said, there is definitely a world in which... Your potential employer, I would assume, Googles your name. Mm -hmm. I mean, damn, I, I didn't study HR, but like that seems like step one. Yeah, I mean, it's like a seems like an easy way to do research on someone. Look at all their social <laughs> yeah. media stuff. Yeah, make sure so I'm a psycho. So it seems like maybe you do need to worry a little bit about what you tweet. So we're going to talk to Allison Green, who runs the Ask a Manager Universe, the podcast, the book, the whole shebang about what HR managers really think and whether they actually care about our tweets. So we will be back with Allison after the break. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It will be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. We're back with Allison Green, the author of the Ask a Manager blog, which is also a book. She was formerly a chief of staff at a nonprofit in D.C. She's going to talk to us a little bit about what a manager slash HR rep thinks about. 
deleting tweet. <laughs> we need the corporate side of things here. Yes. So, Allison, have you seen some bad tweets in your day? <laughs> <laughs> You know, fewer than you would think in doing hiring. I mean, obviously, I'm on Twitter like everyone else. So I see the same gross, vile things that are, that are on Twitter <laughs> that everyone sees. But, but in a hiring context, less than you would think. I have definitely seen more problematic stuff with younger employees, like people who are right out of school who I think maybe aren't completely in a professional mindset and haven't fully thought through the fact that like Twitter is sort of like a town square. You're not just talking to your friends, you're putting things out there that anyone can see and, and pass judgment on. But when I think about those, it's been mainly um, like sort of glorifying drinking and drug use in a way that you don't want to see in a hiring context and not a ton of bad things beyond that. Do you recommend managers do check Twitter or are you more focused on people's like Google search results or like police records or Instagram or I don't know what? Yeah, I do think it's smart to Google candidates. And sometimes when you do that, their Twitter page will come up and you might take a look at it. I'm not recommending that people go specifically to, to Twitter and search their with most jobs, there are some jobs where it would be smart to do that if you're hiring for a social media manager position, for example, or anything where public communication or PR or social media is going to be playing a big role. It's pretty normal to want to see how someone has managed their own social media. But I do think it's something that in general, hiring managers aren't like, oh, Twitter, we have to check that off our list. It's more something that could come up when they're doing a broader search. I feel like it's because no one uses Twitter except for media people and we all hate ourselves. Well, that's like... <laughs> One of the things that I think is weirdest about this is that, particularly in media, like the fact that hiring managers look at your tweets, that could like really discourage people from like being critical of companies that they might later want to work for. You know, like then you just oh, have I mean, this, this is like, a classic conundrum. completely like add nine Twitter presence where you're just like, I love this blog by this person instead of like, wow, the New York Times really fucking up, really dropping the ball here. This is like humiliating. <laughs> no offense to the HR departments of the world who do great important work, but it seems like kind of unnecessary and like creepy to look at people's tweets. Well, I think this is the question for Allison is what the line is. I don't think it's creepy. <laughs> um, I, think it's, I think it's creepy if you go to great lengths to track down things that people have tried to keep private. You know, if someone has their Facebook locked down and you discover that you have access because you're friends with someone they're friends with and you sort of a backdoor into looking at it, I think that's creepy. That's not intended for mm -hmm. you to see. And there's all kinds of ways that would be inappropriate for an employer to use it. I mean, if someone is tweeting about a health condition or something religious or in a lot of cases, political views, that is not relevant to the job and it's not relevant to their judgment and in some cases you're not legally able to consider those things in the case of health and religious information. But if someone is criticizing your company, it's absolutely true that you don't want employees who are just yes people and who will never express any dissent. You want people who are independent thinkers. The problem, I think, is that when you're hiring, you have very limited data about the person. And if one of the pieces of limited data that you have is that they've been trash talking you on the internet, it makes sense that that's going to carry some weight in your head. It's tough because I guess you don't want to put anything controversial out there in case that could weigh heavily on your potential employers' minds. Like, I'm thinking of just controversial political statements that aren't illegal to make, are just like, maybe I don't agree with your political statement that you're making. In general, I think people, thoughtful HR people and thoughtful hiring managers are in agreement that for most jobs, political tweets should not be playing a role. There are some exceptions to that. I mean, if you're 
going for a job to be the ombudsman to the New York Times and you have some political tweets, that is going to factor into the reputation that you've built. And that is something that's going to feel relevant to them and their readers. If you've posted stuff that seems tinged with racism or other forms of bigotry, I think that's fair game. Some people will tell you that it's not. But I think for, for most people who aren't posting racist rants and are, are posting <laughs> a more... Um, less hateful political views, I'll say. It is true that you could get a hiring manager who sees that and has a particular bias against your viewpoints and that does factor into why you don't get the job. There is an argument that doesn't hold up 100% of the time, but does sometimes, that maybe you don't want to work somewhere that is going to penalize you for the political views that you hold. But that's a really privileged position, because not everyone has the luxury of walking away from a job for that reason. So I do think that if you're launching a job search, it's not a bad idea to clean up your Twitter feed. So in your experience, like how far back are people going when they're hiring and, and looking at a potential employee's older tweets? Not far back at all. Um, I don't think in most cases you would need to worry about going back more than a few months. Well, I mean, of course, it depends on how often you tweet. But like, assuming you tweet, let's say, a few times a week, I don't think you need to go back more than a few months. Exceptions to that are if you are applying for a job where you would be some kind of public face um, or where there is something controversial about the position, I would go further back. There's also a thing where you, you clean up a reasonable amount. Let's say you clean up six months of your tweets, and then you have like a vindictive ex or someone who, who screenshots a kind of problematic tweet from three years ago and sends that on. And you can't predict that kind of thing and you shouldn't have to plan your life around it, but that is a thing that sometimes happens. So if you have a vindictive ex, you might want to clean up a little bit further back. Do you think, Allison, that the hiring side of things has like transformed as time has gone on? Like, Do you think that the perspectives on tweets have changed? Like, At one point, when Twitter first came out, people thought about them in a certain way, and now that all of these bad, terrible things have happened on the internet and people have suffered and we're also just grappling with technology as a society that hiring managers are now thinking differently about the internet and internet presences? Good question. I think to some extent there's more of a consensus than there used to be, um, that 10 years ago there was a lot of angst and hand-wringing around what is fair game? Is it Should we not be doing any kind of Googling of candidates? And I don't see that so much anymore. I think there's more or less a consensus that yes, people are knowingly putting this out into the public sphere. It is sort of like a, a town square. If you're talking publicly, it's, it's fair game for someone to overhear you. I don't think there's like 100% agreement on that, but there's much more of a consensus than there was a decade ago. Have you ever changed your mind about a candidate or fired someone because of an old tweet. I have had concerns raised in my mind about a candidate who <laughs> who was really devoted to documenting his drug and alcohol use on Twitter. Um, we rejected him for other reasons, but that was definitely like a piece of the picture that he was painting of himself, and it was an alarming piece. Um, I mean, I have no problem with people documenting their drug and alcohol use if that's how they choose to spend their time, but but in a professional context, <laughs> it felt like it said something about his judgment. I once had an employee who I had a very serious, stern conversation with. She processed donations for the organization, and 
as anyone who has worked in fundraising knows, sometimes you just get really weird letters from donors. And someone had sent back a donation card with some sort of crazy rant written on it. And she'd taken a photo of it and tweeted it out because she thought it was funny. Um, so that was kind of a serious violation of confidentiality of the organization. So I had to talk to her about that, but have never fired anyone for it. Wow. I guess the final question is just, in your opinion, Allison, should people delete their old tweets? Let's let's talk for regular people and then for public public facing. But I also want to know if Allison deletes and her if tweet. you delete your tweets. Yeah. You know, I don't. But now I'm wondering if I need to. But I'm a very boring tweeter. So I think I'm okay. Uh, but I'm wondering about it now. You're making me second guess that. Do normal <laughs> people, do normal people need to delete their tweets? Probably not. I mean, I think if you are launching a job search, it is a good idea to scroll back through the last few months of your tweets and just make sure that there's nothing there that could be read the wrong way or cause problems for you. I don't think you need to go on a really significant cleaning spree social media wise, um, unless you are someone who... <laughs> Um, has judgment that employers might find questionable in the ways that we've talked about. But I don't think that's most people. If you're more of a public persona, I think that's trickier because you probably do need to do it. But at the same time, it may be noticed that you've done it. And that becomes its own whole thing. So I think that's a harder question. I think I might say make a deliberate choice. Don't just sort of do it by default without thinking it through. Because there's real value in talking about things about politics on the internet, even if it's not your job. And I would never want people to feel silenced in that regard. I think it's understand the potential consequences. I mean, you might decide, I don't want to work for an employer who has a problem with me tweeting about reproductive rights, and I support you in, the, in that position. Um, someone else might feel like, ooh, I don't feel like I have enough options that I'm willing to close that one off. So I think it's really just about thinking through what kind of risk you are and aren't comfortable with. All right. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. This discussion was really great, and you're an awesome guest. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed being here. So she kind of made it seem like it's true. We all are self-important and no one actually cares what we tweet. Like, yes, HR people, people doing hiring are probably going to Google you. They're probably going to click on your Twitter if it exists in your Google search, but they're not going to go super deep. And unless you're crazy tweeting anti-Semitic, racist, whatever stuff, you probably will get the job. <laughs> like, that <laughs> kind of seems like what will happen here. I mean, plenty of people get hired without, like, background checks. So if that's, wah, wah. it's like, you know, yeah. assume you'll get hired. I mean, I found Allison extremely comforting. If the only thing an employer cares about is whether or not I'm tweeting about drugs, it's like, I'm in the clear, yo. Nobody ever offers me drugs. Although after this conversation, I did reconsider tweeting Wall Street Journal retire bitch in response to Brett Kavanaugh's op-ed where he was like, I can't be expected to control my emotions. I'm just trying to be a Supreme Court justice. Why and did you reconsider? I just thought maybe like I would have like some consequences from my current employer. I don't know. It just didn't seem worth it. So instead, I posted it on Instagram with a picture of my cat. Instagram is our safe space <laughs> where we can post whatever we want with hopefully no one knowing about it. All right. So we have gotten Allison's take. We can all breathe easy. We don't have to worry about our jobs necessarily. So now we're actually going to talk to another expert guest, Mark Graham, who works at the Internet Archive. It's a nonprofit that's entire mission is archiving everything you see online. And we're going to talk to him about what it means to delete a tweet, because you might not realize that when you delete a tweet, maybe 
in certain circumstances, the Internet Archive has already archived your tweet. And actually, you deleting your tweet is doing nothing. It still exists. People can still visit it. So we're going to talk to Mark about what it means to have an archive of the Internet and how important that really is. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us. So first things first, can you explain what the Internet Archive is and what the Wayback Machine is? So the the Wayback Machine is part of the Internet Archive. Uh, The Internet Archive is a 21-year-old nonprofit in San Francisco. And for uh, all of that time, uh, we've been backing up uh, large portions of the public web and um, for much of that time making uh, those available uh, through the Wayback Machine. Just to be clear, are tweets involved in the Wayback Machine or just the Internet Archive in general? So we archive some tweets, not all of them and not even nearly most of them. But we do archive tens of millions of tweets every week. And we archive them from a variety of sources. For example, there's a service on the Wayback Machine called Save Page Now. And anyone can go to uh, web.archive.org and they could put a URL into the Save Page Now feature and they can archive that URL. That's used actually tens of millions of times a week to archive individual URLs, uh, many of which are tweets. In addition to that, though, we we do also um, archive uh, tweets from, from various feeds. People have constructed their own lists of tweets to archive, and then there are other feeds that that we also follow. In addition to archiving individual tweets, we we archive the URLs that are in tweets. So that could be a web page that's that's referred to within a tweet. It could be a YouTube video, for example. So as as a result of, of us parsing URLs in tweets, we actually archive several hundred thousand YouTube uh, videos every single week. So when people are submitting these like URLs for tweets to save, like what kinds of tweets are they typically saving? Like what types of users, I guess, if you have any insight? You know, it runs the gambit. And obviously there are people that are passionate about a particular person or domain, right? A subject matter. I mean, it may be a politician, it may be a government or an NGO or a celebrity. We don't know. This, that's, that's the process is anonymous where people uh, choose to save things to the Wayback Machine through the Save Page Now function. But the net result of it is that we, we end up uh, getting uh, archiving a lot of tweets. You may remember in the 2016 election at one point, Michael Flynn uh, tweeted about Hillary Clinton and claiming uh, as a reference to sex crimes with children. I mean, this was an actual tweet that he put out uh, during the heat of the election that was uh, you know, accusing Hillary Clinton to be tied up with, with Pizzagate, basically. That tweet lasted for a while, and then it was removed, but not before it was archived to the Wayback Machine, and then available, available to journalists and others to be able to basically help set the record straight you know, help hold people accountable to to what they say in public. So do you just have, like, Donald Trump's Twitter feed on, like, automatic? Like, up, pretty much, archived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an easy one. I mean, it's not just as much as me, we like lots of people do. You know, I mean, we're we're part of a of a community of people all over the world, uh, of web archivists. Um, some of them are, are supported by governments, and uh, as I said earlier, by libraries, museums, uh, NGOs, and individual citizens uh, that are working to help preserve the things that they're they're passionate about that they think are most important. What do you think makes an archived URL better than a screenshot? of a tweet, for example, or a screenshot of 
a website or something from the internet. We archive more than a billion URLs a week here with the Wayback Machine. So just trying to make a, you know, a billion screenshots is a pretty tall order. Um, but, but more importantly, it's the ability to audit the capture. We, we refer to these as, as captures. And to be to maintain all of the associated information about the HTTP request, the, the headers, for example, the individual timestamps of each element of, of a given page. So as a result of this, and a result of the fact we've been doing this for a couple of decades, and we do it in a, in a very open fashion where our, our systems are well documented and we have public APIs and there's a lot of history and experience doing what we're doing, uh, there's a high amount of confidence in the credibility of, of what we archive, such that many courts in the United States, for example, have ruled that archives from the Wayback Machine are admissible as evidence in, in courts. Just extrapolating a little bit here, is that like a holistic archive of the internet then requires like a pretty large-scale culture of participation, right? It, it can. And by the way, I want to bring it back to you. You know, we're, we're talking about the web here, not really the internet, right? right. Although right. We, we are working to expand into other um, protocols and, and other kinds of of platforms. But it, it, it is a collaborative effort. That's true. I highlighted the save page now feature of the Wayback Machine. But of the more than billion URLs that we archive every week, those that are initiated via save page now by end users, really crowdsource, that's only a few tens of millions. There are many, many other hundreds of millions of URLs that we archive as a result of a series of processes that we've evolved um, over the decades. But we also have a subscription service at the Internet Archive called Archive-It. And there are more than 600 partners. Uh, these are museums, and libraries, and governments, and others that use the Archive-It service to archive URLs from lists that they have handcrafted. Can you explain the difference between the internet and the web? Uh, so the, the web is, generally speaking, what you get via a browser, and it rides on top of a lower-level infrastructure uh, called the internet. A little bit of what we talked about with our other guests was kind of like when the concept of an archive is like almost weaponized, specifically during Gamergate, when people were going very, very far back in someone's tweets in order to you know dig up something that they could use, devoid of its original context in order to like make public figures, semi-public figures look really bad. Um, is that something that you guys think about or, or discuss or, or how do you feel about that? Sure. I mean, obviously we, we, we think about trying to help set the record straight. And, and a big part of that uh, is this word that you use there called is context, right? So we, we care about the ability for people to be able to understand what they see on, on the web within an appropriate context. And that context um, may involve um, you know, other tweets, um, other web-based uh, uh, resources, annotations, uh, web pages, et cetera. And in fact, we have a project here at the Internet Archive to begin to stitch some of these um, components together. We've, we've created a Chrome extension, but today it's, um, it's used primarily to help people archive web pages and then uh, replay uh, pages that they've archived. We've recently added some new features uh, to this extension that, for example, allow someone to be on a web page 
and, and then see the tweets that are made about that web page. And we're also working with organizations that uh, are in the, the fact-checking space. So if, uh, if someone is looking at a tweet or a web page, we want to make it easier for people to be able to get more context about um, what they're looking at. And maybe there's been um, some analysis done on that tweet or that web page, and someone has written up um, some background for it. So, you know, context is, is, is important, and it's certainly something that, you know, it's as we rely more and more on getting information from the web and also from the internet at large about what's real and important in the world, being able to see these things within a larger context becomes more and more critical. Yeah. So like, it sounds like, you know, for you, a large part of this archiving endeavor is about keeping people who are in power, like honest and accountable. Do you think that archiving is as essential and like making sure what just regular folks on the internet say, do you think that's important? Like regular Joes, you know, Caitlin and I are special. So like everything we say <laughs> should be archived, obviously, oh my God. but <laughs> other than us, just like regular people, do you think those should be archived and why? It's hard to say like before the fact, right? I mean, I don't know, you may do something really important in the world at some point and something that you're right might be critical for our understanding of what, what that is. But, you know, I, I guess as a practical matter, no, probably not. What about you personally? <laughs> do you tweet? And if you do, do you feel obligated to never delete? I do tweet. And uh, Mark Graham is my, my Twitter handle. No, I don't feel obligated to, to not, never delete. I, I make spelling errors sometimes. And, um, and it's embarrassing. And so I sometimes will just, you know, quickly delete a tweet. But it's okay. I mean, I try to be open. And um, if I make a, a, a factual claim that I later learned was false, I'll go back and, and attempt to set the record straight. But I don't know. That's, that's just me. I mean, everyone's, everyone's going to be different about that. We don't want to create a platform where we say everything that you say is part of the record and it can be taken out of context and held against you, right? And maybe that's why I actually think it's important that we attempt to record things, in fact, so that the context can be there for review and we can look at, at, at a whole body of work. You know, the other thing I want to say about, about Twitter in particular is, well, you know, we're talking about individual people and individual tweets, but there's a, the bigger picture here, right, is all of the tweets and, and the tweets that are that are malicious, the tweets that are manufactured, the tweets that are part of um, what's referred to as computational propaganda. They're made by organizations that are attempting to influence um, some outcome in, in the world in a, in a completely manipulative kind of way. And in order to be able to more fully understand what's going on, what's, what's happening in this, in this incredible environment called Twitter, one has to be able to see uh, large numbers of tweets and to be able to see them within context, to be able to see, for example, like where a tweet originates, what the history of that Twitter account has been, what other tweets they've made, how those tweets are being propagated and amplified throughout a network. You know, of those amplification points, are they human beings or are they other known robotic entities and who's behind them, etc. So, you know, this is something where we're even now just, just beginning to understand what happened in 2016. Uh, for example, around this. You know, there's, there are a lot of reasons to have the ability to go back and to look at what happens in social media that aren't obvious in the moment, 
but become obvious and important after the fact. And since the Wayback Machine is unfortunately not a real-time machine, we can't go back and get stuff we didn't get. So we're going to continue to do the best job we can uh, day in and day out to get as much as we can of the things that we think are probably going to be important going forward. Well... Now we're on the other side. We've journeyed on this episode, I would say. I really enjoyed Mark's inspiring, lofty rhetoric about the internet and like why it's important. Or, I'm sorry, the web. Anyway, I appreciate their goal, and I do think it's important to have an archive of the web. However, I do not think it is important to have an archive of things that would be embarrassing for me personally. Which <laughs> <laughs> But then Mark said, what if you become famous? What if you go on to yeah, something Yeah, I actually really perked up when Mark said that part about <laughs> what how if maybe you, one of us will become famous. What if you become a powerful person and we need to hold you accountable for your IUD tweets? <laughs> oh my God, y'all. IUDs are fucked up. We can talk about this another time. Yeah, but I'm torn. Like, I don't have auto-deleting tweets. Mine, I deleted once, and then moving forward, I was like, I will not tweet dumb shit about mosquito bites anymore. <laughs> like, that was sort of my rule. And now I just, like, again, use Twitter for self-promotion. So, like, for me, I don't plan on going back and deleting any more tweets. But at the same time, I don't want everyone to delete their tweets. Because what if someone who is going to be a future politician says some whack stuff and then is like, delete and we have no reference for them. It's the same thing as like celebrity profiles now, where celebrities refuse to talk to newspapers or magazines because they're like, I want to write my own story. And it's like, well, you know what? Sometimes we need to hear it from a different perspective. And I'm, I'm like very upset about that whole demise of the celebrity profile. So you know what? That's where I'm at today. Oh, boy. Okay. So you are saying you are firmly anti-delete now. Okay. I do. No. No qualifiers. <laughs> Give me a yes or no. Ashley Carmen, pro-delete, anti-delete. <laughs> I did this to Mark, so it's only fair I get yeah. it turned on to me. I'm going to say I am anti-delete. Wow. I think you get one delete. One. One delete in your life, and that is it. For a grammatical error. <laughs> <laughs> For spell check reasons only. <laughs> okay, that's cool. I mean, I like that. That's I think fun. I think, you know, we all get to be teens and do stupid shit. But then you get to be an adult. And you know what? At a certain point, like, if you tweet something that looks dumb, like, yeah, it does reflect poorly on you. But guess what? That came out of your brain. All right. I answered your dumb question, Caitlin. Rude. Where are you at on this? I think I am anti-delete. Wow. I know that I did not provide you any qualifiers, but I... I'm going to go ahead and take some before you're you interrupt me. You're a girl of bold statements, and I um, like it. <laughs> I think you can delete if there are spelling errors. You can delete if your life is being threatened with ruin by faceless mobs on the mm -hmm. internet. And you can delete if you tweeted as a teen and it was embarrassing and you no longer need it in your life and no one will care. Those are reasons you can delete. So we're sticking firmly in the teen zone, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that adults should be able to like clean up their records. Yes. It's that's how up. I feel. Adults own up to what you tweeted. Like, I'm sorry you looked stupid. That's that. You tweeted it. <laughs> All right. Well, I've gotten a little heated in this podcast and arguably also just I'm a little, you know, delirious today. But I appreciate everyone sticking through with me. This was a pretty bleak way to come back from our summer vacay. But it is also good to acknowledge when summer is over. 
And that's just called being an adult. All right. So as usual, I'm going to give you guys the whole spiel here. You can follow Caitlin on Twitter at K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley R. Carmen. Uh, We want to thank our producers, Bridget Armstrong and Andrew Marino. They're the best. And Bridget's new this season. So yay, we have a new producer. Also, you can email us at buttonattheverge.com. We are actually looking for people who have had some drama with their group chats have you left a group chat? Email us. Let us know, and we might reach back out to you and see if you can chat with us for a little bit. All right, that's it. See you later. Bye. <laughs>